Hey, awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch or recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy. We are talking about that time I got reincarnated as a slime, season one, currently up to episodes 17 and 18, The Gathering and Evil Creeps Closer, and I am joined by my competent co-host, Caleb, who is currently overcoming his demons so he can uh, consume Cthulhu. Finally, like, at a certain point, you know, you, you got to work on yourself. you got to work on yourself yeah. and summon an eldritch being, take it into your body, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just deal with those manifesting demons. Yeah. Um, like, if you're not... Help. <laughs> well, Gossip Girl turned into a dating podcast, so why not? Why not? <laughs> if you're not manifesting your demons, why even have demons? Is my 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 argument? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're placing these manifested demons so you can roll damage against them. That's right. That's right. It's teaching you to. Fu- this is the thing about the Satanic Panic that really like surprised me. Everything about D&D was about fighting demons and fighting monsters. And they were like, no, no, we're teaching you to summon them. It's like, yeah, so you can kill them. Yeah. Like everyone in D&D is about killing the demons. Yeah. It's like it's fighting the good fight. Oh, no, no, no. They never really got the got the point of it. Um, let's jump into these, these episodes because. Oh, no. Yeah, warlocks would have just blown their little minds. It was all wizards and sorcerers. Even wizards are bad enough if um, the people... Com- well, <laughs> fundamentalist Christians complaining about Harry Potter before it was cool. Exactly. And now they have <laughs> changed sides. They have, but hey, that is a yeah. different podcast. Yeah, let's let's a very different podcast. Let's talk about the politics of uh, the Jura Tempest Alliance instead. Because, uh, well, what, what happens in this episode? What happens in these episodes? The gathering really is about the gathering. We just get a little overview of how everyone's like doing their jobs and like they're starting to build up their their economy. And um, then Fuse shows up, the actual creator of the series, and some guys all like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to come too." And that's it. That's kind of it. Oh yeah, and there's a, a guy, a biscuitier, which biscuitier, yes, biscuitiers. And you know they're sprinkling well, they in. They use beasts instead of muskets. I suppose it makes sense. Just to make the name they stupid. But... Yeah, yeah. So anyway, a beastketeer shows up, and Malim gets in a fight, and um, then he gets lured into summoning an eldritch horror, as you do, and the eldritch horror starts to go towards the town, and they decide they're going to have to fight it, and that's it. That's the entire plot. Mm-hmm. They go, oh shit! Something's attacking. Better stop that. Absolutely. I mean, a couple other things happen, but that's the 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 base of it, isn't it? Exactly. Um, as you said before, these are quite filler episodes. These are build-ups. Yeah. And I think have we talked about filler in D anD D before, or quote unquote? Um, I I know I have in previous episodes. I don't think you and I have talked about it. But I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So, it's this sort of stuff is very necessary for pacing. Yeah, um, there is um, definitely when it comes to 
like it's necessary for somewhere that you are trying to create a world that feels lived in. Um, the whole concept of all killer, no filler works great for, let's say, um, you know, a book or um, a movie or a TV series. But when it comes to games, um, like I've been playing Final Fantasy 16 lately, and that, oof, that does have some filler, but it can be Ooh. very, very useful for making the world feel more lived in and to allow the, the finer points to come out. Um, so, you know, we start to hear more about, for example, in these episodes, you know, mercenaries and, um, you know, how people are going with their given roles. Um, I believe in Slime Diaries, actually, Trainee the Dryad starts a bar. Of course um, she does. Where she serves potato chips and just <laughs> is like a... That's... A <laughs> I, I have odd feelings about Dryads serving plants, but all right. Oh, yeah, they, they straight up say, like, oh, these are my babies. Here you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking, like, toenails or something, but all right. No, no. No, no, they're just like, you know, these are my babies. <laughs> these are my babies. That's Eat something. them. Eat them would be pleasant. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And stuff like that, those weird little um, tidbits are very, very necessary. Hmm. Because it also means when something is being attacked, um, there is more of a hair from the players because they feel like they've lived in this place as opposed to shown up and then suddenly there's a problem. So where do you see it, this filler coming into D&D or into an RPG? Do you have sessions in a campaign where you're like, okay, I'm not really going to have any combat. This is just them doing stuff. This is them having a base and like talking to people and like building new armor and shenanigans and pulling pranks on each other. Is that how you do it? Or do you plan for it or you just let it happen naturally? A lot of it can only come about by it happening naturally. Um, mm. Usually you find that a lot of those um, filler ones are because you've had to suddenly improvise something because the party have suddenly decided, oh, wait, I am interested in visiting Blacksmith or, oh, suddenly this, this player that had initially like very little interest in the world has suddenly gotten invested enough and been like, hey, I want to try and search out something that gives me more information about the town the province the nation the world um mm. and when it comes down to that hopefully you know what your world well enough that you your improv your improvisation is uh, inspired by something and doesn't derail stuff um but that is very much how it occurs. I think also, um, oh, I forgot the other thought. I'm so sorry. All right. That's right. I'll take over. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking what you were saying about like when someone gets it more invested in the world and just even the concept of the word filler, like you're filling in, in more details about the world, basically that's, that's the idea, but you're also, kind of pushing it between two major events um, to to say, okay, well, it's not just this blank slate between yeah. where you are now 
and the big monsters you fight. There's there's farmers that need help. There's you know there's forests that you have to go through. There's mushrooms to pick. There's stuff that occurs in between the adventures. And Absolutely. I'm just also realizing now that one of these ideas of fill, like the fact that we see this as a filler episode anyway, sees that makes us seem that like there's story aspects and there's leveling aspects in RPGs. Like you could say every session that you play is filler until you get to the boss. Like that might be why you're playing. You're playing so you can fight the boss or anything that doesn't contribute directly to the story is filler. It's like, well, is it? Or are you experiencing the role-playing on a different level? Are you going into that minutiae because that's the game you want to enjoy? In which case, it's not filler. It's just another fun session. Exactly. I think that brings up actually two extra little points. Mm -hmm. um, number one is that absolutely do not make this a rule. Uh, um, do not... Um, like, don't take what I say as absolute sacrosanct and be like, oh, this is what is needed. But I find that the best sessions I have had have been sessions where barely any dice are rolled. That where maybe like once or twice over the course of the entire session, like let's say three hours, because it is literally just all vibes. It's people interacting with the world. And I was mm -hmm. sort of sat back and been like, yeah, I mean, you've interacted with the characters in such a way that that um, appeals to them and you don't need to roll for a chance at them um, engaging with you. They will engage with you mm. because like, you have... Yeah. Like going to the... Going to the doctor and getting your wounds healed or going to the law master and finding out about the secrets that you discovered, like getting them to read the book and the lore and things like that. And you're learning more about the world around you rather than just, oh, well, I persuade them to, to tell me everything. Absolutely. Um, I think, I, though, there is a danger mm. to, and this is the second point, a danger that that might be, that, that is inherently its own reward. And that can be good for certain players, but if you've got players that are more mechanic-driven or more... Um, uh, treasure driven, for example. Yeah. Make sure reward driven. Re exactly, reward driven. Um, then make sure that you are also rewarding that in a way that feels meaningful. That because mm. if you get that marriage, like let's say you visit the blacksmith, you know a little bit more about the world, and suddenly, like for example, my um, party um, were talking to Grindylows that had been living under the like in the depth of the ocean for a couple of thousand years mm -hmm. um, and you know had all these um, metal weapons and they were just like hey how did you do this like how did you manage to do this yeah how do you forge and, metal underneath uh, the ocean exactly and they were just like well we use the spell heat metal oh like the the metal is heated from within um, and we make it just hot enough that it is malleable for a, a certain amount of time. We have to work really hard at it, but yeah, we we know that. And so they learnt the smithing techniques of the Grindylows and um, got um, heat metal as a spell. Nice. Yeah. 
I'll admit, I was kind of hoping that they went down to like the ocean floor and the vents down there, and like it was this whole task just to to forge one sword. But you know, magic. Yours, oh, yours works too. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that for like the bigger um, items, like because their whole whole city is made out of um, metal as well. I, I can't remember what kind of metal. It was non-corrosive. Um, I, I don't know metals. Yeah. And There's I a surprising number of things that surprising number of things that Jeremy doesn't know about and um D&D &D and RPGs are not one of them it's pretty much the only thing I do know something about actually exactly yes like we, we, uh, we have a very specific set of skills unfortunately yeah. it means that we do not know everything so as uh, I say with like you know the best sessions are without rolling dice doesn't mean that certainly. if you don't roll if you roll dice you're gonna have a bad session I honestly really enjoy those sessions when I'm running them, partly because mm. it's me creating stuff on the fly and then having oh, to yeah, run with that later on. And I I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it being at, like, yeah. I've had a group who went to the city of Sig Sigil, or as I call it, Sigil, mm. because that's the correct way to pronounce the mm. word. Um, and they wanted to go shopping. They wanted to buy a skyship. Yeah. They wanted to do all this stuff. They wanted to shop for magic items. And I had no idea. I've never read anything in Planescape beyond the very basic, this is how the city looks, this is where the Lady of Pain is. So I just started making stuff up and going, yeah, they've got a, a place where you can buy dolls. And, you know, it's here's someone who's selling dreams on a stick and all these, these oh, random things. And ended up creating a shambling mound NPC shopkeeper who sounded like Cookie Monster um, and would sell drugs <laughs> off his body because he's growing fungus and mushrooms and things like that. And it was all just this one session of just, I don't know what you're doing this week. Like, I haven't actually prepared anything and you guys want to shop, so okay. Let's go, let's shop. Yeah, and, um, it, and it can it can be really fun. Yeah, and the best thing is that you also get sort of a bit of a live reaction. If you see your players, like if you mention something offhand, you improvise something, and your players suddenly go, ooh, um, like you immediately get like, okay, writing that down, expanding on that later. Mm. Cool. Mm. And um, it's like what they're asking about as well, what they're saying, oh, I'd like to look into this. And you go, okay, you, you apparently want firearms, so I'm going to have to... Yeah develop those further down the line but i know the seed is there and i feel that this sort of filler is better than say the combat focused filler because combat in dnd &D can take a long time and while we don't see it in this it would be something like something shows up you fight it we're here for three hours you defeat at the end and you continue on your journey yep. yeah and in the end they have not attained anything that is unique to D and D. They yeah. have literally gotten like a singular experience that if they were to go home and play Devil May Cry for ten minutes, they probably would have gotten like through the same amount of enemies. Yeah. Um like it, it would have been slightly different. They wouldn't have had the time with their friends, but that's not really the aspect for it. I feel 
it, yeah. it's what I was saying before about the story-driven filler, but also the leveling-driven filler. Like, yeah. if it's filler between levels, it's just, you know, the grind to, to get to the next one. Mm. Like, you, you don't really have this... That's when you want the, the monster after monster after monster and the filler in between is when you go to the villages and you actually talk to people. The role play for that type of player is yep. the filler. Exactly. Why do you care about this place as opposed Ooh. to why you're fighting for it? Speaking of why so, do they care yeah. about this place, um, let's talk about the mercenaries from the episode. Uh, Yom. Uh, is it Yom? Yom. Who yeah, um, basically... <laughs> Okay, I wanted to like Yom. I wanted to like Yom at the start. He shows up and he's all badass and they do the flying V formation. And then just as it looks like they're going to be kick-ass and kill a night spider and save Fuse and the other three adventurers, Gobta shows up and does it one like single-handedly. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you know what? All right, that was cool. That was cool as well. But then he's making jokes about um, Shion. And I'm like, all right, you, you're messing with my girl. Not allowed to do that. Yep. She's right to smack you in the face. Um, yep. So he seems like kind of a dick at that point. And then Rimuru is all like, oh, yeah, how about you take the credit for killing the Orc Lord? And he's just like, yes, I will serve you. I was going to fake my death anyway. Like, wait, what? Like, I feel like we skipped some steps. Yeah, no, um, he's very much the guy that is just tired of the drudgery. Yeah, I got that. Um, and especially, especially as a mercenary, that actually that makes a good tie-in because in the end, this is a character that then is only motivated by money. This is a character mm -hmm. that is only motivated by the reward center. Yeah, and at this point, he's gotten enough rewards. He's got a little posse. He's got a full party all that sort of stuff doesn't really have anything to care about um, which does tie in into I believe the next series um, mm -hmm. that, it, it felt like it was setting up it felt like it was setting up for character development but just where it suddenly came from he literally just was like I will serve you we were going to fake our deaths and start a new life anyway and I was just like where are you coming from that that's the best possible yeah. option for you right now Faking your death, yeah. everyone's death in your company. You're all going to fake your deaths. Like, are you just dodging like tax debt or something? Like, what's what's the deal with yeah, your kingdom, man? Like that that's the issue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Look, let's not get onto mercenaries at the moment. Once um once Russia clears up. Anyway, um, what I did want to yeah, talk about true. with the mercenaries, not specifically just uh, Yom. But that idea that there's so many rumors, like they start spreading rumors, like Rimuru doesn't want to be known as the one that destroyed the Orc Lord. He wants them to just be, oh, look, we're just a friendly, happy uh, monster village and monster nation and people can come to us and be, be nice and we'll start trade. But these heroes over here, we just help them defeat the, the Orc Lord because rumors and like hints and listening to the people around that feels like a very D and D thing. Like you go or particularly a D and D thing, you get a job and then you kind of investigate a little bit, see what you can find out without just going straight in. And those rumors are perfect for seeding those sort of half truths and red herrings that they could start to make their plan around. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's yeah, I... really, really cool. Um, especially when you create rumors that have that little nugget of truth in them. Yeah. But it is, it's the nugget that you didn't expect. It's, it's like, um, trick questions in a quiz show mm -hmm. where, um, I think it's college humor. No, I, I guess drop out now that does, um, um, actually that one mm -hmm. where they try and get the, uh, people to sort of buzz in when they hear the incorrect thing. Um, and they very much bury the lead in the questions. So rumors like that are great. I know adventures that were published in Dungeon Magazine used to have like a little, a lot of the ones that I've read anyway, used to have a little table of these are the rumors that the players will hear about this adventure. Mm -hmm. And they would make note of this one is true. This one is false. This one is sort of true, and here's the reason why. Like, there's a ghost that inhabits the um, the graveyard or something. It's like, this is only partly true. It's actually such and such going about and, like, doing skullduggery things. Yeah. So you can start to get that roleplay element into it as well, but have it, like, just as local flavor. But then the, the characters were also prepared for perhaps that. Yeah. It's the perfect setup for a mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, well, like, you know, mystery, misdirect, all that sort of mm. stuff. You are essentially giving players part of the information. Um, and, and that's where I think people get maybe a little bit caught up in the weeds with, um, you know, quest design and, mm. you know, creating um, quests for their characters uh, because it, it, there is a, uh, what's the term? There's a temptation to just mm -hmm. have a bartender be like, oh, yeah, there is this problem. Mm -hmm. This is the Or a notice board or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but rumors, mm -hmm. just so good for creating a mystery. Mm -hmm. And they're also good for planting future adventure seeds. Like you have them look like they've already got the job and they're like, Hey, has anyone heard about that dragon up in the Hills? And people are like, yeah, that's pretty bad. But I heard there's like a couple of ogres, few towns over and like they were driven out by the dragon. And then you go to the town over there a couple of days later and like, yeah, we're dealing with ogres. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like a, a great way maybe to like, let, let's say that there was a group of adventurers that came across the rumor about these mercenaries that took on a demon lord. Yeah. And you meet defeated a demon lord. Defeated a demon lord. Um, and you meet them. And they seem a little bit ragtag. Mm -hmm. um, they, and maybe like they get into a scuffle with one of your party members and it turns out they're not actually all that strong. So you start looking into this room for a little bit more, being like, okay, well, our, like they say that they were given aid by this town of monsters. Well, how much did these town, this town of monsters really help? Well, and I was thinking just have, having... Then... No, you, you continue, you continue. I interrupted, I'm sorry. But yeah, like, I, and then your, your party could then go to this nation of monsters and figure out, okay, the truth behind what really happened with the demon lord there. 
and why they started See, this rumor. I was thinking even have it as the rumor is that there is a, a nation of monsters. Like this would be the most ridiculous thing. There's a, it's a, the rumor of, hey, have you heard that that bizarre tale? Like there's actually a nation of monsters. And was like, that's not true. You've been having too much to drink. And then you come across this thing. And you're like, oh, yeah. wait, if that's true, maybe so many other things are as well. And maybe we need to look into this. Yeah. But everyone's saying it's a nation of monsters and how scary it is. And then you get there and it's the Jura Tempest Alliance. And it's like, yeah. hey, look, we've got running water and plumbing and stuff. Isn't it great, you guys? Come on, we'll get you some spider. Yeah, because we've got like these all these people with all these different little abilities. Like that stuff like you know, fae cities and monster cities and all that sort of stuff are really great fun because suddenly you have to re-examine, okay, you know how everything works in your normal medieval humans um, and humanoid um, world. Okay, hmm. how, how does this nation of monsters exist? Yeah. Um, how can this be integrated into um, how your players go about? Um, interacting with the world how do people respond to it as well and that that people would have these rumors like this thing exists and your players will have preconceived notions about it that yeah that you don't necessarily have them like you make they there is a monster nation they then learn that the rumor is true but it's also not true in a way so exactly. it's not, it's also- it, it breaks the preconceived notion. And that I feel is the strength of rumors that it gives them just enough information to, to want to learn more, but not enough that they already know everything. Exactly. Um, otherwise mm-hmm. there's no quest, no mystery. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of that basic, gets- the red herring on a hook. Mm, absolutely. So uh, lead them in the wrong direction. Like and then, uh, yeah. Um, it also means that it is a great way of um, also it's a great way to go about also creating myths and legends as well. Yeah. Um, go by the same route that you would create those rumors, that little, little tidbit of um, of knowledge of truth to it, mm-hmm. and then expand that out further, make it larger, make it bigger, mm-hmm. and that's like. There, there could be something that, that, you know, the thing that seemed the most plausible was actually the untrue thing. And the thing mm-hmm. that was the most ridiculous turns out to be the thing that was true all along. And going off from that, start to make rumors about your players or about the, the adventures that they've had. Oh, yeah. And it's the whole oh, William yeah. Wallace is 12 feet tall. He shoots lightning from his eyes and fireballs from his ass kind of thing. And it's like, well, technically, it's just lightnings and fireballs. It's not directly from a particular place. But yeah, I do that. I mean, there was that one time that you did shoot it from your ass, and we don't talk about that. No, we don't, we don't talk about that. That was just some bad curry. But that that thing that when they hear a rumor about themselves, people scoff at like the ridiculous things that that adventurers do. They're like, that's not that can't be true. They can't have taken on like the the biggest dragon in the world with just two of them and a cricket bat, because that's the plan they come up with. Yep. So, yeah, I feel it's it's such a great way of just building the world more, but also giving your players a chance to be like, ah, that's us. That's us, you guys. Everyone's been talking about us. Yeah. And especially uh, if they start 
like especially the rumor start about the most ridiculous stuff they did like one of yeah the, like my players got out of a a prison by making the guards dance mm-hmm because that's the kind of stuff no, that would make it, stories. Yeah, exactly. It's like the warden comes in later and like his entire staff are doing the Macarena and three prisoners are missing. It's like <laughs> someone's going to hear about this. The other prisoners are going to talk and it's just going to be the, the Macarena prison break. The Macarena prison break. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, and, and yeah. speaking of um, creepy dancers. All right. <laughs> I, I'm didn't want to touch on this but i feel we have to the the clown alliance the clowns why yeah, the clowns I why i don't i don't like yeah the, the Harlequin um, alliance i have yet to see them be like that it, it's falls into that old trope of the the fools turn out to be the biggest threats of all Ooh. Uh, but it is a long time for that payoff to come. And the entire way there, they are, I will admit, annoying as all hell. Yeah, they're super annoying. They're just that right level of creepy for me, honestly. Because mm-hmm. um, clowns creepy, we could like get into the whole thing about mm-hmm. them. But I like that they're creepy. I don't like them in the show because they are incredibly frustrating and so so blatantly obvious in their machinations yeah. to the audience. And you're like, how are you not seeing through this? Like this Sophobia guy is like, how, he notice he knows they're playing him. But he's like, yep. no, I can't let it go. I'm so frustrated. And it's like, mm. yeah. just, you know what you're meant yeah, to do and you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, guess who my net one for, this, for today is. Yeah, I, I suspected it might be. Um, and, I mean, Sophobia, I just dislike from the very beginning anyway, but and that, I think I'm supposed to, but he's, he's just, Gabaru is petty in a selfish way. And this guy is petty in a dick way. Yeah. Like this guy is, what if intelligence was the dump stat, but also yeah. wisdom was the dump stat. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think then- wisdom is the dump stat and intelligence is a little bit higher. Yeah, just that, that tiny bit, like, he's just that little bit more conniving, but even that is just like, oh, man. Yeah, Phobio is definitely one of my least favourite characters. Yeah. Um, I can see why. Like, he, but- he takes us, well, he doesn't take a swing at, at Milam, does he? Like, she takes a swing at him and beats the crap out of him. Yeah. But then he's all like, yeah. oh, I can't believe she beat me. It's like, dude, that's a demon lord. And apparently one of the most powerful demon lords at that. Of course she beat you. Like, like, what the hell? Of course you got... Like, why are you so upset that God kicked your ass? Yeah, just like, I I wasn't able to fight God. I'm just like, dude, like, your your master's a demon lord. Yeah. So, like... uh, Honestly, if I feel like his master would be more upset if Phobio had beaten Malem. Like, if Phobio's yeah, beaten Malem, his master has to start to go, hang on a second. If you can beat her, you can beat me, and I'm not having that. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. Okay, look, I don't want to talk about Phobio. I want to go back to the clowns. 
I want to go back to the clowns, the Harlequin Alliance. I do love the trope of the um, that 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 fool who manipulates everything, like the the yeah. one that no one takes seriously. Yeah, and fools with threats, um, and something about them, just that extra level of creepiness when they revealed the plan to Phobio, like you will have to die to do this, and the yeah. masks I, themselves. I, I, I... Like just having no expression beyond this like rictus grin and it's all about the body language. That's that I really like. Like that's something that works really well in animation. Also it helps that you don't have to do lip flaps either. Yeah, that's um, true too. But there there is that one line from Footman where he just goes, You still haven't realized your role in all this. Yeah, that was like, Oh, yeah. oh, that's that's on par with some lines in Madoka. That was amazing, uh, and it, th that's the thing that he he was like, "Oh no, oh well, I'll do it anyway." I'm like, "Dude, no. like this is oh so many warning, so many red flags, so many red flags." Exactly. I thought yeah, it was like, a parade. Yeah, a circus parade. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good thing these guys are clowns. But imagine if they were pulling mm. out their little string of flags and they're all <laughs> red. Yeah. Somehow you still haven't seen it. Um, um yeah. But I no. think the, the, uh, the Harlequins bring up two very interesting little role play things for DMs. Mm. Number one, um, they are a great example of um this is coming um from a voice acting point of view, if you're sort of the mm -hmm. of voices. It mm. is a great way of revealing, like, sort of hinting at a duplicitous character. It doesn't have to be as black and white as the Harlequins are. So let's say that you have someone who's trying to be, like, a little, um, like, I'm a farmer. I'm, I'm a regular working-class Joe that suddenly, for whatever reason, suddenly slips into the old thing before patching himself. And now I'm back to, oh, keeping up the pretense. But maybe the... The players that are switched on enough noted that and are just like, wait, yeah, what was that? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they have to roll an insight check, and it's a very hard one. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it becomes like a very nice little bit of um dramatic irony where the player knows I can't trust this person but the character might not. Mm -hmm. um, I've got something, speaking of voice, I do something similar with a um, a villain I have that I run regularly, so I get to practice the voice a bit. And he he's always the villain, but I've chosen the voice for him that's a slight take on Mark Hamill's Joker. Mm. But he's more of the, the stylish fop. Like, of course, I'm here to have you uh, have a drink with me. How about that? We'll go and celebrate. Uh, so everyone sees him as just like this this cad about town until he suddenly turns to them and just kill them all, okay? And so that's kind of to get them on nerves. But I also have them roll insight whenever they want because his passive deception is so high 
that it's very difficult for them to actually beat it. It is possible, but it's it's very difficult. And the way he acts is he doesn't think anything he doesn't then say. Yeah. Or that's with the impression that he gives. So he plays that fool and he plays that thing. But even if you're suspicious of him, he still seems the fool and you can sus- suspect as much as you like. You're not going to get through. But the player should always feel suspicious because of that voice, because of the way he acts. He's too good to be true. That sort of feel to it. Yeah. And that's like the, just that's just playing thing. on their on their mind to always so then when the betrayal does finally come, they're prepped for it. Yeah. And I think that's also another thing when it comes to playing deceptive or duplicitous characters. Mm. They the best liars know that you can't play that you're lying. You have to play as if you were telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And the more that you are able to play that and the more genuine that you are able to appear um, when telling that lie, the more likely that someone's going to, to straight up believe it. Well, this um, is what um, a lot of things... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the most powerful, all the most cruel things to say are the ones that have a grain of truth in them. Mm-hmm. And that I think is what well, we're going back to rumors. If you've just got that that hint of truth in there, they're more likely to buy it. And again, what the clowns do to Phobio, it's like they play on those insecurities. They kind of like, yeah, don't you feel bad about that? It must be so frustrating. He's like playing on those emotions that are already in there. And he knows mm-hmm. that he can't get more powerful than a demon lord. Like they're saying, even this about Charybdis, once they say, hey, you've got to go and merge with Charybdis. They're saying it's nearly as powerful as a demon lord, but that's the only way you could have a chance. And it's like, but what if you could? What if you could control it? And it's like, yeah. oh, just, just really getting into in, his claws into him. I hate them. I hate them so much. I hate them so much, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I think that's the other thing about them, because they are genuinely good characters. But I guess there's yeah. also, so we were having a discussion last night, sort of post-session um, over at fortress and we were discussing the most obnoxious characters and the theme that i i saw coming up was not characters that were um you know themselves heinous but rather their the the way they faced the um the audience your players the um you know how much can you put up with this character before they become tiring? Yeah. Like, um, is there maybe not enough energy to them? Or maybe is there just too much? Um, to the point where it's just like, okay, we get the bit. We understand mm-hmm. the bit. This guy talks like Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what is there is more to him than that? Or is it that just it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think, the big drawback with the Harlequin Alliance is is that they don't really stop getting annoying until they have a certain level of pathos to them. Okay. Um, Yeah, because a little bit about the the affectations. What's the the pink-haired one? 
doing or what's her name i can't remember yeah uh, it doesn't matter something about the affectations when she's talking to the other demon lord whose name i also can't remember is that carrion i can't they all look the same um the uh, way because he seems to oh that's cromwell okay i hate i hate all of the cromwell um he seems oh, to be cromwell. in control of them like it seems a little bit like he's in control of them and he's like pulling their strings as a marionette puppet master should but also it feels a little bit like they should be in control of him they're manipulating him as well like that's mm -hmm. that's what i'd like them to be doing i'll get onto that in a second but something about the way she talked when she was reporting to him just like the giant arm gestures and the cloth like the the sleeves hanging over her hands something about that like you i just constantly thought she doesn't even know what she's saying. She is not there. Like they're not as smart as they think. They are just another servant. Yeah. I, I think that but, might be the way that they're being sold. But yeah. Yeah. In the end I, I, I love I agree with you. Yeah. I love that idea that they're the they're the ones that are actually pulling the strings and they're like just pretending to be this little conclave of oh look we're just servants. We're just helping the demon lords out and doing all these things. But in reality, they're the ones that are like pushing, pushing the the negative emotions and like pushing into the darker stuff to bring about the end of the world. Essentially, that's what I want them to be doing. They're there to bring out Cthulhu, get swallowed up and absorbed by him, and hooray, Cthulhu lives. Yeah, and that's this, the thing. As as every clown does, end. that's every clown's belief. Just absolutely. FYI, absolutely, every clown wants to summon Cthulhu. Like, yes, why they're so scary because you just know that they are wanting to like signal the rebirth of Relier. Um <laughs> but I think that's also the other thing. It doesn't necessarily need to be that the shoe has to drop and they have to reveal that oh we're really the puppet masters behind this whole thing because really mm. a lot of that is obvious. You know the mm. stuff that makes starts to make them very very interesting is when you start introducing something that the players can sort of latch onto a little bit, which is they, like the main thing about them that made me start to like them is because suddenly it's revealed, oh wait, these guys were just all mates. Mm. Like there's like actually a genuine um, camaraderie between a lot of them. And they're still going after the same thing. They still have the same voices. They still have everything like that. But they started to grate on me much, much less once they just got that little bit of extra depth. Just yeah. a little bit of pathos or a little bit of something that just makes a viewer or a player go, wait, there is something more to you. And then suddenly that's when the player starts filling in a few things yeah. and starts to, all of a sudden, that obnoxious character becomes less easy to kill yeah when they suddenly shoo away when they have the depths and you're starting to realize well they're not just a, a single dimension or they're not even just a two-dimensional figure they actually have a reason behind this and they have a story and they they've led up to this they may not have a great reason but you can understand what they're doing yeah i i, I tell you the um the whole thing behind it then no. Maybe like them, but I also feel <laughs> like I don't want to reveal stuff 
the viewers. Plus, also, if you no, want to spoiler free. Spoiler yeah, free. Exactly. I I will say I'm speaking of spoiler free. I'm going to say what I had for a plan for a villain for a very long time, and I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it off, um, just because it requires yeah. so much setup, and I'm not running enough games to do it. But I wanted it to be like a bit more of a wacky game where it was like Scooby-Doo shenanigans for most of it, like a monster yeah. of the week sort of thing. And they've got a recurring villain that's like Team Rocket, who's like always behind yeah. all the thing, whatever their, their mystery they're ever solving. And it's always like, I'll get you kids next time. And as they flee, that yeah. sort of attitude. Until like that, I'll get you next time. Yeah, I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. And just do that over and over as other stuff goes on until finally they just come home one day and their families are slaughtered, like brutally murdered. And this joke villain is standing there going, I told you I'd get you next time. And just completely flip and have that person be the big bad because they're just basically a trickster god like Loki who was having a great time up until a point when you pushed him too far and now it's not yeah. a game for him and, anymore and he just wants to mess with you yeah and that's a perfect example of fools as threats yeah um so i, I always want to do that i don't think party. i can do it yeah yeah well it's, it would need a lot of setup because yeah. you need a lot of opportunities like there is always, so first encounter is always going to be, okay, what's their deal? Mm. Second time is going to be like, okay, maybe the first time was a fluke. Mm -hmm. Third time, surely this guy, okay, this is the end of it. Like years and years of, of consuming pop culture and stories has set up that the third time is going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. So you would need to have at least four appearances um for them to go okay these these guys or this guy is just having a laugh at this point yeah and we've beaten them so many times it is getting progressively easier to do so so he's not growing at all he's not growing alongside us um or even if he is we're all... still outpacing him exactly exactly like that that's when that character becomes the fool because in the end, it's this absolute madness of doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Mm. Um, and you would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah, and that's when probably one of your characters going to turn around and be like, "No, you would have gotten away with it if you were just, you know, good at it, or <laughs> like, yes, decent in any way." And, and that's and that that's what I want him to snap. Yeah. When they, they finally say something like, hey, why don't you just get like a real job and start to be a little bit mean and petty at him? And it's like, yeah, okay, you're, you're on my level now. Yeah, I've, I've pissed you off. Yeah. I have to really piss you off. Yeah. So yeah, fools as villains. I like that. Oh. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about for this episode? Um, no, I think we've covered most of everything um but let's see we've done you know mercenaries we've done filler we've done mm -hmm. um the harlequins mm -hmm. um we've covered the fact that fovio is a dumb dumb shit yeah um i want to talk about uh Charybdis next time 
because I feel that's going to be a better one. Yes. And like the Eldritch horror, the idea of it, like these flying mm-hmm. megalodons and that that whole aspect to it. Um, and the mass production of potions. But yeah, but... Mm. But yeah, they but, did uh, actually say in this, because this is going to be the first time that they're going to have a threat that they cannot reason with. Yeah. Uh, like they, they've straight up said in this episode, we, we can't reason with this, this thing. <laughs> Which did feel a little bit like, okay, that's just how it goes. Ruburu tries to reason with them. If he can't, he swallows them. Now there's something he doesn't get to talk to first. We get to have a real battle. But I see they're trying to do something else with it too. Because it's terrifying when you can't talk to something. If it's just an implacable monster that wants to kill you. Especially if you... Your stuff. Dear listeners, Caleb cut out for quite a section there. Um, So all it was... All we heard was... Especially if they, your stuff. And to be fair, that is terrifying. If a monster wants to do anything to my stuff, I'm worried. Yes, exactly. Um, No, sorry about that. That that is the unfortunate reality of talking long distance. But um, (laughs) what I was going to say, um, especially if you have spent the entire length of your campaign or story setting up that talking is the main way to get out of stuff yeah suddenly yeah. this is something that cannot be solved the way that you've been doing it before yeah and vice versa like if you suddenly come up again if it's been combat all the way and suddenly you come up against something that's just impossible to kill you got to find another way around and whether that's talking or putting in a trap or something like that yeah it's or it's good them honey yes feeding them honey uh i did also like the little we bit where Malem's. We did. Uh, when Malem's just like, it, it's fine. It's nearly as strong as a demon lord. And I'm a demon lord, so I can just kick its ass. And they're like, no, 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 no. Rimuru gets the first shot. And like, but, but, but. But we can, can be done with this. Yeah, we can be done with this. And she's, and Rimuru's like, but she could do it. All right, fine, whatever. Uh, all right, so we'll deal with some of that stuff next week. But there is one thing that we need to do before we go, and that is pick our crit hit or our crit fail for the week. Um, I think we've already gotten a hint, Caleb, from you as who you're going to pick. Uh, so would you like to go first? I would love to. Um, mine, that one was a very, very easy one this week. Um, it was a, a nat one twice on inside. Oh, no. Phobio. <laughs> we doubled down on it, yeah. Yeah, just like somehow this guy got nat ones twice in a row. Like this is the player got like after the villain has turned to him and been like, "You're a like a goddamn fool," and like the play the character just having to go. Yeah, I guess I am. Well, off I go into the Eldritch Seal. <laughs> well, I guess everything's going to work out fine for me. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that one. Oh, poor Phobio. Um, I I like I it. I do think that I was considering Phobio for the same reason, but um, partly because I do enjoy a little bit more of character depth or character downtime. Um, I'm going to give a, a critical hit. I'm going to give a nat twenty uh, to Shuna, um, mm-hmm. who very clearly won the breath holding contest in the onset. Uh, with a natural 20. Yes, she came up last, 
she very clearly won and the other two are just deluding themselves if they think they were holding their breath longer mm-hmm. and she was doing it with a towel as well like yeah i was very impressed by that she was doing it with a towel and she then gives the warning please do not try this in the bath at home uh anyone who might be watching us through the magic of television <laughs> So yeah, Shuna's getting the getting the the crit hit from me on that one. Uh, that is us. That is it. Well done, Shuna. The award is in the post. Uh, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, dear listener. Uh, you can find us here again next week, where we're going to be talking about episodes nineteen and twenty. Uh, Caribdis and Yuki can something. Uh, nineteen and twenty. That's that's what I know. If you would like to Sorry, hear us every time, yeah. Uh, please subscribe wherever podcasts are found and tell your friends about us. Um, we're very funny, as you've noticed already, and um, it's a very good show that you would like to watch along with us. So you can leave us reviews and ratings um, wherever podcasts are found as well. You can do it in-app, I believe, and um, five stars is best because it gets us out to more listeners through the algorithm. We are also brought to you uh, by... Um, yes, you've got to love it. The blessed algorithm. Uh, we are brought to you by the other Glory B, the Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service in Melbourne, where you too can hire game masters to, to run games for you and discover more about the wonders of RPGs. Any system is available. Uh, we've got a number of different game masters. Uh, we've currently got a pop-up shop in East Brunswick for the school holidays, but we also have regular games at Fortress Emporium uh, with Dungeons and Flagons. You can book tickets through there. There's a link or there's a link for Masters of Alchemy in the show notes, so you can check that out. Uh, what else do I need to say? I need to say where you can find us online, which is at DND and TVPOD uh, on Instagram, or you can send emails to DND and TVPOD at gmail.com. Caleb, where can people find you online? People can find me at what's a Caleb, C A L E B. Very cool. You can see that it. Instagram. Um, that is Instagram because we're not on Blue Sky yet. But if anyone's got an invite, send it to me, please. That would be great. Um, I, I, I want to jump ship us. from Twitter as soon as possible. Yeah. The sinking ship that is the, the Twitter ship. Um, I think I'm kind of out of things to say. I probably left out a couple of things. Music's by. Astro Freak, um, Arts by Tori Tedeschi, a um, couple of other things around. Um, so until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourself, may all your hits be crits, and we'll see you next time you get turned into a slime. See you next time, guys. Have a good one. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.